Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon in English study group, and we're studying the words of the Buddha in volume 7 of this book series. This volume is titled Breathing Mindfulness Meditation. This is a consolidated version of Gautama Buddha's teachings on breathing mindfulness meditation, which is a primary form of training that you would use in order to awaken the mind to enlightenment. We've been studying in our past class chapters 1 through 10, and now we're moving into chapters 11 through 20. It's important for students to think about studying these chapters before class and or after class because you get the words of the Buddha, you get the reference back to the original source teachings, and you get words from Mead to help you and guide you along in your journey to understanding the teachings of the Buddha. Here in the class, what we do is we start with a brief meditation typically. Then after that, we will go into having a student or myself reading each individual chapter. Then I'll share a bit of teachings on that chapter and then open up to any questions that you guys have. So I don't have the time to go into the level of depth that I did in the books. So it's really helpful to get these books and be able to then read them either before class or after class. And you can access them on our website at buddhadailywisdom.com. From there, you can download it and view it on an electronic device and read it. Or you can take that file and go print it. Or if you have access to Amazon, you're welcome to go ahead and purchase it on Amazon. And here at the temple in Chiang Mai, we have some as well. But you can decide for yourself what works best for you. It's important to read those books. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining for the first time or you've been joining regularly, and at the same time, invite you to join for some meditation before we actually start our class and studying the teachings of the Buddha in this study group. So if you'd like to make yourself comfortable, either in the seated, lying, or standing position, these are three positions that work really well for online learning. I'm going to start with a brief chant just to kind of ease us into meditation. Then I'll provide some brief guidance before we do a little bit of meditation and then come out with a chant as well. If you know these chants, you're welcome to join along and chant with us. They're common chants that some people have learned as part of their journey with the path to enlightenment and Gautama Buddha's teaching. So you're welcome to join along if you have learned these chants at any time and you'd like to just practice as somebody's chanting together with you. Sawakato, <laughs> 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 
Damang namasami Supati pano mahakwato sawakasangko sangkang namami napmorasapakwato Arato Samasaputasa Napmurasa Pakawato Arato Samasaputasa Napmurasa Pakawato Arato Samasaputasa Iti Pisu Mahakawa Arahang Samasamoto Vichacharanang Samuno Sakato Rokavito Anuteropurisa Damasati Satatawa Manu Sanang Poto Pakawati Okay, with the lower body and the hands and arms relaxed and comfortable, in the upper body erect, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just looking to establish your breath, a nice, natural, steady, consistent breath, not forced or controlled, just a gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose, breathing in and out. Your breath may not match up with the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay. This is your practice. Just use my voice as a guide, just reminding you that wherever you get to the next inhale, breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And when you're ready, exhale out through the nose, breathing in 
in, out. With the breath well established, start fixating the mind on the breath, either the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving over the skin. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you notice that it moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. No need to observe the thought, label it, judge it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out.
Just go ahead and switch over to our class of learning with the words of the Buddha. I'll invite those of you guys that are in Zoom, if you would like to read any of these chapters, you're welcome to read. And then as we go forward, I'll teach on that particular chapter. And then after I'm done teaching, I will open up to any and all questions that you guys have related to each specific chapter. So if those of you guys in Zoom would like to read any of these chapters, you can just raise your hand electronically. That'll let me know that you would like to read, and then I'll be able to have you unmute your mic and be able to read the chapter. So otherwise, I'll just go ahead and start with chapter 11, which is the first one for today. We're going to be going through chapters 11 through 20. 
This book is titled Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, and all the chapters are related to the Buddha teaching breathing mindfulness meditation, which is an important aspect of your practice to develop, so that's why there's a whole book devoted to it. So this chapter 11 is titled Concentration by Mindfulness of Breathing Leads to the Destruction of the Taints. Before I read this chapter, I'd like to just talk about what the taints are or what the fetters are. These are the 10 individual pollutions that the Buddha discovered in the unenlightened mind, and your goal is to eliminate these from the mind. They're called taints or pollutions or defilements. They're also referred to as fetters or 10 fetters. A fetter is like a shackle with a chain and a ball around it, which keeps a prisoner trapped. And the same thing is these taints or pollutions or defilements are keeping the unenlightened mind trapped in the unenlightened state. So these 10 fetters are keeping the mind trapped in this unenlightened state in this continuous cycle of rebirth over and over and over again. Monks, concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, leads to the destruction of the taints, fetters. And how, monks, is concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation developed and cultivated so that it leads to the destruction of the taints? Here, monks, a monk having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, straightened his body, and set up mindfulness in front of him. Just mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breathing in long he knows, I breathe in long, or breathing out long he knows, I breathe out long. Breathing in short he knows, I breathe in short, or breathing out short, he knows, I breathe out short. He trains thus, experiencing the whole body. And then this section is repeated just like in chapter one, there's a very long guidance that the Buddha provides in terms of how you should meditate. And then ultimately he gets to, he trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe in. He trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe out. It is in this way, monks, that concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated so that it leads to the destruction of the taints. So we studied in chapter one and broke down the Buddha's guidance on breathing mindfulness meditation. Here, he's just cluing you in to help you understand that breathing mindfulness meditation is what leads to the elimination of the 10 fetters. There's other things you would need besides just breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate the 10 fetters, but without breathing mindfulness meditation, you wouldn't be able to eliminate those 10 fetters. So it's the Eightfold Path that is the core central teaching that a student is learning and practicing to be able to train the mind and get it to this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You've eliminated all discontent feelings like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, stress, anxiety. By the time you get to enlightenment, you're not even experiencing the slightest little ickiness in the mind. The mind's always in a good mood. And the way that you do that is you eradicate these pollutions from the mind or these taints or fetters. And it's breathing mindfulness meditation that's going to help you to do that. Because in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're developing mindfulness, which is awareness of the mind. And that's going to help you to be able to see when these pollutions are arising. 
then you're also developing concentration, which is also helping you to be able to then stay focused when these fetters are arising or these pollutions are arising. You can see the symptoms of these fetters. As you understand what these fetters are, you will see the symptoms of them arising. And then when your mind moves off the breath and breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cutting that off and letting it go and bringing the mind back to the breath. So you're not trying to eliminate the thoughts and breathing mindfulness meditation. You're trying to gain the ability to easily let go when there is a thought. So the mindfulness and concentration helps clue you in when there is a thought in meditation and then cutting it off and letting it go trains the mind to easily let it go. So that now that you've exercised the mind this way in meditation, in daily life, you now go out and you practice mindfulness and concentration, among other aspects that you need to practice for the mind to move to the enlightened mental state. With that mindfulness or awareness of mind and concentration, where you observe and you notice that there's a rising frustration or irritation or annoyance or any of these discontent feelings, you can then cut that off and let it go as a bodily sensation. This is something we're going to be studying today, which is called the four foundations of mindfulness, where once it becomes a feeling, you can still cut it off there too, but you would like to catch it as a bodily sensation if you can. And that's what's going to really transform the mind and help you to eliminate these 10 fetters. Of course, you're going to need to study the Eightfold Path. You're going to need to study many different teachings, but the Buddha is just cluing you in here that Mindfulness of breathing is going to help you eliminate those fetters. Any questions on this chapter, you can put them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or from Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Looks like, Francis, you have a question. Go ahead, sir. You're going to need to unmute yourself. Okay, you can hear me now, yeah? Yes, sure can. Okay, um, I'm asking a question pertaining to what you mentioned during the first uh, session last week about putting in the right effort at the beginning to uh, raise the awareness of I'm breathing in long and breathing out long, same thing for short and all that. So I'm trying to think back in my mind, do I tell my mind now I am breathing in long, I breathe in long, now I'm breathing it out. It sounds to me like quite mechanical. No? Is there a way to do it that you know it's so natural that okay, when you breathe in, you know you're breathing in. So how does you tell the mind that I'm now breathing in long and breathing out long? Okay. So during That's the question. Sure. So during the meditation, you're not thinking about these statements that the Buddha describes. He's giving you the guidance of what to do while you're in meditation, which is Bring your mind to the breath. Bring your awareness of the mind to the breath. That's essentially what he's saying there. He's not telling you like, okay, breathe in long, breathe in short, you know, breathe in this way, breathe in that way. Instead, what he's saying when he says, if he breathes in long, he knows that he breathes in long. If he breathes in short, he knows he breathes in short. In other words, what the Buddha is saying is, bring your awareness of mind to the breath in that way you're aware of whether you're breathing in long or breathing in short because what you're doing in meditation is you're actually cutting off thoughts and bringing the mind back to the breath so those individual instructions that he's providing he's not suggesting that you should be thinking about those things while you're meditating but instead he's just giving you general guidance of what you're going to be doing as you're meditating the way that i explain it is that when you were a child your parents taught you to brush your teeth 
and it took you a little while that you had to learn to go in and out and in and out or up and down and up and down and you had to be consciously aware of that but now when you brush your teeth you just go in and you brush your teeth you don't even think about the in and out strokes or the up and down strokes you just go do it but initially your parents had to explain to you exactly what to do so the buddha is explaining to you here what to do but then you just go off and do it Okay, uh, I guess I did something wrong because at the beginning I sound very mechanical. I tell myself that now I'm breathing in, you know, so I have a headache mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, uh, but now I decided to cut it off and just say that I, I just know that I'm breathing long and I continue breathing long, whatever time it takes. And suddenly it turns short mm-hmm. by itself. And then I just continue to uh, breathing in short. So, uh, is that a correct way? Whatever your breath is, is what the breath is. What you'll notice is the more you elongate your breath and you slow it down, because your mind is fixated on the breath, it'll slow down your mind. Whereas if you breathe in short and rapid, you'll tend to have rapid thoughts. So by fixating the mind on the breath, just fixate it on the breath. Don't think about whether it's long or short. Just fixate the mind on the breath and then just gradually breathe in And then as you get to the top of that gradual breath, notice the gap, create a nice little gap between the inhale and the exhale, and then exhale out through the nose. And then when you get to the bottom of your breath, notice that little gap before the inhale, just really nice and gradual inhale and exhale. Okay, I got it, thank you so much. I think Mm -hmm. I will go back to the one you have taught us the last time. Just just follow the breath, just follow the breath. Thank you so much, Peter David, that's all I have to ask. Sure, sure. You're welcome, Francis. Yeah, if you follow the guidance that I provide, what I've done is I've consolidated the Buddha's guidance into kind of some short instructions. Today, of course, because we just do a short meditation on Saturdays, it's really short guidance. But when you have seen me meditate in other settings, then you'll see a much longer guidance to really help people soak into the meditation. But since we're doing such a short meditation here, I usually just teach a very short version of the guidance. But if you practice that guidance, you don't have to think about the guidance while you're doing the meditation. But if you just practice that guidance, that is the type of meditation you'd like to develop. Okay, let me see. I don't see any other questions here. So let's move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 12. Here, I'll go ahead and read this one again. It's titled, Great Fruit and Benefit of Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, Anapasanati. Monks, one thing when developed and cultivated is of great fruit and benefit. What one thing? Mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation and how monks is mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and benefit here monks a monk having gone to the forest to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut sits down having folded his legs crosswise straightened his body and set up mindfulness in front of him just mindful he breathes in mindful he breathes out Breathing in long, he knows, I breathe in long. Breathing out long, he knows, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he knows, I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he knows, I breathe out short. He trains thus, experiencing the whole body. And then, of course, repeat as you see in chapter one. He trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe in. 
He trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe out. It is, monks, when mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated in this way, that it is of great fruit and benefit. So here the Buddha is just explaining there's this benefit with breathing mindfulness meditation. Remember these teachings that he's sharing? It's not like he's sharing them one after another after another. That first one that we read today, he might have shared it at one point. And this could be like a year or two years later that he's teaching in another setting. And he's teaching this part. So what this book has done is consolidated these so you can digest them all in one book. But here he's just kind of hitting on individual things that are very important to understand related to breathing mindfulness meditation and then he's giving his guidance of how to actually meditate when someone is actually meditating so here he's just describing how it's an important aspect of your practice it's of great fruit and benefit it creates a lot of benefits and then in all of his other discourses he's explaining the details of what that benefit is like the last one is that it leads to the elimination of the fetters or the taints and then now throughout the rest of this book you're going to see each discourse he's sharing a particular thing that is beneficial in the results that you're experiencing from practicing breathing mindfulness meditation any questions on this chapter? Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So let's move on to the next one, which is chapter 13. This one is titled, Concentration by Mindfulness of Breathing is of Great Fruit and Benefit. Monks, concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit. So this first section here, this is all what we just read. So I'm going to skip over that. And now we're going to get into individual aspects of what the Buddha is sharing are the benefits of breathing mindfulness meditation. And you're going to see a bunch of them here. So this first one is mind liberated from the taints. I too, monks, before my enlightenment, while I was still unawakened, but intent on awakening, not yet fully enlightened, generally dwelt in this dwelling. While I generally dwelt in this dwelling, neither my body nor my eyes became fatigued, and my mind, by not clinging, was liberated from the taints or fetters. Therefore, monks, if a monk aspires, may neither my body nor my eyes become fatigued, and may my mind, by not clinging, be liberated from the taints. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation should be closely attended. So here the Buddha is describing that before he got to enlightenment, he was training his mind with breathing mindfulness meditation. And what he observed during that time is that his mind in his body didn't become fatigued, that he noticed that the body in the eyes and the mind due to eliminating the pollution and training in this way that there wasn't any fatigue. What you'll notice is that when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, you'll go through your day chasing, 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 chasing. That's that mental longing and strong eagerness. You'll be chasing, chasing, chasing. And in some cases, you're going to get what you want and you're going to get those pleasant feelings, but they're conditional feelings. When those feelings arise, change and fade away, your mind's going to be right back into some potentially painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration or others. And throughout your day, as you're chasing after various things, 
Sometimes you're going to get what you want, which you'll get those conditioned pleasant feelings. In other cases, you won't get what you want. And you're going to get those conditioned painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, and others. This is very taxing to the mind. This is very tiring and exhausting to the mind. And when the mind is exhausted, the body is going to be exhausted. So if you get to the end of your day and you're just completely exhausted, this is because of the mind having so much pollution in there. But when you get rid of that pollution, particularly craving, desire, attachment, what you'll notice is that the mind will be uplifted. It'll be bright. It'll be radiant. You won't experience any fatigue in the mind. And you'll notice that the eyes and all the other sense bases, they won't be fatigued because you haven't been longing and yearning through the sense bases. In this way, you can maintain your energy throughout the day. An unenlightened being will get exhausted. They'll get tired. Both mind and body will become that way at different times during their day or their week or their month. An enlightened being, they won't get that way. They'll get sleepy where they need to sleep, of course. You know, they need to get some rest. But the mind and the body isn't fatigued. It maintains its energy because the mind no longer has pollution. So it's not chasing, chasing, chasing and going on this never-ending, unquenchable thirst where you're constantly trying to fulfill the mind through its cravings. That's all been eradicated from the enlightened mind. So each day, each moment, you won't experience this tiredness, this heaviness, this exhaustion that is experienced. That is being experienced because the mind is not in the middle. So if you're noticing that, that means that you have some work to do. And here what the Buddha is encouraging you is that if you're interested in experiencing this energy and uplifting of the mind and the body where you're not fatigued and you're not exhausted and tired, that mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation, developing mindfulness and concentration, eliminating craving, desire, attachment is what's going to help lead to that so that you can experience the uplifted mind as the mind gets closer and closer to enlightenment. Now the next one, abandoning the memories and intention connected with the household life. Therefore, monks, if a monk aspires, may the memories and intentions connected with the household life be abandoned by me. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation should be closely attended to. So what he's describing here is that during his lifetime, people were coming out of their households in order to join him to ordain and to get to this enlightened mental state. So they were giving up their home life. If they had a wife or a husband or children or a certain career or what have you, they were leaving all that behind to go off and train their mind to get to this enlightened mental state. And as they were training, their mind might have still been clinging to the past. Certain pleasurable things that were experienced in the household life or certain painful things that were being experienced and their mind was clinging and holding on that's one of the things that craving and desire attachment and clinging does is the mind will hold on to memories it will hold on to either pleasant experiences or painful experiences so now even in the present moment you can have these conditioned pleasant feelings based on something pleasant that happened in the past and your longing and yearning with craving desire attachment for that to happen now in the present moment or you can have painful feelings from the past, certain painful experiences. And now thinking about those painful things in the past, the mind can experience pain in the present moment because of something that was experienced in the past. And the same thing can happen for the future is the mind can long and yearn 
for the future about pleasant things or painful things. And now in the present moment, the mind can't reside peaceful and joyful because of this longing and yearning to the past or the future. So here what the Buddha is encouraging his students to do is that if they're interested to let go of this clinging to the past, which is causing them discontentedness now in the present moment, that breathing mindfulness meditation is the way to accomplish that. By the time the mind gets to enlightenment, you will have memories of what happened to you in the past, whether pleasant or painful, but it will no longer shake up the mind. You'll no longer experience discontentedness because of it. So you won't get those conditioned feelings. So now if you've had either pleasant or painful things that have occurred in certain experiences in the past, your mind might be getting conditioned feelings in the present moment, which is causing the mind to go up and down in the present moment. But you need to get to the point where your mind lets that go and you realize that that's in the past. So an example, say somebody was really rich in the past and they had lots of wealth and now maybe they've fallen on hard times and they're lacking resources and they're nowhere near what they were like in the past in terms of their wealth. Well, now in the present moment, if they're longing and yearning for that wealth, those pleasant experiences that they had in the past, they could experience painful feelings in the present moment because they no longer have wealth. Or say that you were verbally, physically, or sexually assaulted in the past, and now your mind is clinging to that experience. And now in the present moment, you're thinking about that painful thing in the past. You could be experiencing painful feelings in the present moment based on that. So what you can do is train your mind through breathing mindfulness meditation to let that go. Because the mind with craving and clinging, it just holds on and holds on and holds on. And this is part of what's disrupting the mind and causing it these discontent feelings. So if in meditation, 20, 30, 50 times, you're training the mind to let go, let go, let go, let go. Now with those qualities of mindfulness, concentration, and easily be able to let things go in daily life where you see those feelings starting to arise based on the past, you can train the mind to let that go, to cut it off and let it go. Using your mindfulness and concentration to have that awareness of mind and that focus, and then use right effort to cut off and let go of anything unwholesome that's arising. So even though the Buddha is talking to his ordained practitioners here about their household life, you can actually apply this to your life now, even if you're a household practitioner, because there are certain things in your past that you need to let go of, either pleasant experiences or painful experiences, no longer allowing the mind to dwell in those conditioned feelings. Then this next one, it's titled, Avoiding Both the Unrepulsive and the Repulsive residing equanimous, mindful, and clearly comprehending. Therefore, monks, if a monk aspires, may I reside perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, should be closely attended to. If a monk aspires, may I reside perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, Breathing mindfulness meditation should be closely attended to. If a monk aspires, may I reside perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive and the repulsive. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation should be closely attended to. If a monk aspires, may I reside perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive and the unrepulsive. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, 
breathing mindfulness meditation should be closely attended to. If a monk aspires, avoiding both the unrepulsive and the repulsive, may I reside equanimous, mindful, and clearly comprehending. This same concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, should be closely attended to. Okay, let me help you understand what the Buddha is sharing here. There's some cases where he's using this word repulsive and unrepulsive, and there's other places in his teachings where he uses the term agreeable and disagreeable. What happens when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind is there are certain things that the mind sees as agreeable and disagreeable through what's called the six sense bases, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind itself. There's some contact that's coming through these six sense bases. If you see a form with the eyes or you hear a sound with the ears, you smell an odor, you taste a flavor, there's a certain physical object that comes in contact with the body, or there's a certain mental object that the mind recognizes. When there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind's going to have certain things that you find agreeable and certain things you find disagreeable. When you experience agreeable contact through the six sense bases, you will then experience this pleasant feelings, these conditioned pleasant feelings. But then when there's disagreeable contact, the mind will experience these conditioned painful feelings. And this is the mind going up and down. It's due to contact that's coming through the six sense bases. And because there's craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing and strong eagerness in the mind, now the mind sees it as agreeable and disagreeable and gets either a conditioned pleasant feeling or a conditioned painful feeling. Here, the Buddha is using unrepulsive for agreeable and repulsive for disagreeable. But you could easily think of this in the terms of agreeable and disagreeable. It might be easier for your mind to think of it this way. By the time you get to enlightenment, you would have eliminated all craving, desire, attachment from the mind. You won't see things as agreeable and disagreeable anymore. It's just contact coming through the sense bases. So let me give you an example. If your mind is unenlightened and you have a certain craving in the mind for certain sounds through the ears, you could be at a stoplight and there's a car with certain music that you really, really like because you have a craving for it. And when you hear that agreeable sound, you're like, yeah, that's my jam. All right, let's go. Come on. Yeah, that's some great music. And you start bopping around in your chair in your car, right? Well, now you pull up to the next light and there's somebody else there with some music that you don't like. You find it to be disagreeable. And now that sound is coming through the ear because of your craving in the mind, you see it as disagreeable. And now there might be this frustration or agitation or annoyance that arises towards this individual or towards the music. This is because the mind has craving and it only wants agreeable contact through the ears. And the same thing is happening in all the six sense bases. And when you have disagreeable contact, the mind then finds it repulsive or you end up experiencing these painful feelings. So the mind's going pleasant feelings, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, painful feelings. And then there's these neither painful nor pleasant feelings in there as well. So by the time you eradicate all of that from the mind, all that craving, desire, attachment, that longing and yearning, when you're at a stoplight and you hear the music, it's like, all right, that's some great music. If there's certain music that you prefer, rather than you have a craving for it, you might prefer it, right? And it's like, oh, wow, this is some pretty decent music. Wow, okay, wow, I like that music, that's pretty nice. 
And then you pull up to the next light and the person's there with music that you don't typically listen to. And it's like, all right, well, pleased that he's having a good time, right? That's really wonderful music for him. And you know that this music is temporary. You know that it's only going to be two minutes, three minutes, whatever, and the light's going to be green and you're not going to hear the music anymore. But what the unelated mind does because of its craving is it'll sit there and get frustrated and angry and irritated. And this hatred will arise towards that individual. That's what you're interested to completely change and transforming your mind so that that's not occurring, that you realize that this situation is impermanent. It's temporary. And there's no reason to arise any anger or hatred towards this person. Just be joyful for that person that, hey, they like that music. And if they're having a good time, well, you know what? That's all right. You know, just whatever happens, happens. You can't control what other people do around you. You can only control your own mind. And if you have that fetter, that taint or that pollution, the mind's being trapped in the unenlightened state, all someone has to do for you to get angry is pull up next to you with some music you don't like. And your mind's not free. Your mind's not liberated because you're going to be angry and hostile, right? But if you get rid of these craving, desires, attachments, you're not going to see things as agreeable and disagreeable anymore. It's just contact and it's all impermanent. And there's no need to allow the mind to get conditioned pleasant feelings or conditioned painful feelings because that's the real way to eliminate the conditioned painful feelings is don't allow the mind to get the conditioned pleasant feelings. You can enjoy things in your life. You'll be able to enjoy music, enjoy food, enjoy these various things, but don't allow the mind to get conditioned happiness or conditioned excitement based on some condition. Instead, what you're trying to do is let go of that temporary happiness so that you can get to the permanent joy in the mind or the unconditioned happiness. That's what you're trying to get to. But as long as you have craving in the mind, you can't get to the permanent joy or the permanent happiness. So when you notice that the mind is getting ready to have these conditioned pleasant feelings, cut those off and let them go so that then you won't get the conditioned painful feelings. And then more and more, the mind can come into this peace and this joy of the enlightened mind where it's no longer seeing things as agreeable and disagreeable. It's just contact and that's all it is. And it's impermanent. Now we'll go to this next one where the Buddha talks about the jhanas here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically what he's describing here is that an individual who practices breathing mindfulness meditation is going to be able to experience the jhanas. The jhanas are the preliminary phases that the mind goes through before it reaches the first stage of enlightenment. And these are experienced by everybody who makes their way ultimately to the first, second, third, and fourth stage of enlightenment. These are certain qualities of mind that are being experienced as you're putting together the Eightfold Path, which includes breathing mindfulness meditation. As you're putting together the Eightfold Path, which is a core central teaching, now when you get that well-developed in your mind and you're starting to practice this really well, you'll start noticing these qualities of the jhanas coming through. And I teach this in various classes and I go through it in detail and, and separate it out and show you what these jhanas actually are. And then now the Buddha is going to talk about these various attainments. The jhanas are certain attainments just like the first, second, third, and fourth stage of enlightenment. These are actually attainments that I'm not going to, again, you know, go through and read because not everybody experiences every one of these. Even in a mind that is enlightened, you're not necessarily going to experience every single attainment. 
But if you read these on your own in the book, and then below these attainments, there's one, two, three here. If you look below this, you'll see my words that are gonna help you to understand what these are. And I describe them in detail of what each one of these attainments are so that then you can let me know if you have any questions on them. Because where this comes into effect and can help you on this journey is that as you're experiencing these various attainments, it can confirm for you that the teachings of the Buddha are 100% true. Because 2,500 years ago, he was explaining what your mind's gonna experience as you're progressing on this path to give you kind of like markers, kind of like landmarks along the way to help you understand you're headed in the right direction. He described this 2,500 years ago. And when you're starting to experience things like the jhanas and the other attainments, and you can see that his words accurately reflect what it is that you're experiencing now, you'll get to a point where you know with 100% certainty that these teachings are leading to your enlightenment and what the Buddha taught is the truth because what you're experiencing and what he taught is tracking word for word for word for word. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Again, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. All right, looks like Bruce, you or not Bruce, uh, uh, Francis, you have your hand up. You'll need to unmute yourself. Okay. Um, okay, anyway, um, my question is there are two questions. One of them is about the earlier part when you said about the uh, impulsion, the impulsiveness. Uh, so I, re I, re I relate to the agreeable and disagreeable thing. Uh, sometimes, let's say the, just a few moments ago, someone did something that I, I felt was not good, not, not agreeable. I reacted to that person. Uh, I was not very happy you know, that. And I, and I also caused a scene in the restaurant where you know, this person cut queue. Uh, and uh, decided to take another person's place. Uh, place. But then again, I, after, the, after a while, I said, okay, I just want to let it go. It has nothing to do with me, you know. But then I decided to, okay, maybe I do a bit of breathing to go back in the present moment. So when I let go, I tend to also go back into a breathing if the, if the situation permits me. I will try to breathe as a way of uh, an attitude to that uh, disagreeable thing or that I let go of. So it does something that can, it's a good practice. Yes, in fact, you're going to see the words of the Buddha here in a moment where he talks about breathing mindfulness meditation can eliminate evil, unwholesome mental states on the spot. <laughs> so if you've been meditating regularly and accumulating the benefits, you'll be able to see that any unwholesome thought that comes to the mind, you can meditate, focus on the breath and cut it off and let it go. And this is a wise practice because eventually if you do that enough, Francis, you'll rewire the mind where it won't experience those anymore. So in this situation, you reacted and you felt this hostility or whatever other uncomfortable feelings might've been coming up. And this time you cut it off and let it go. Well, in the next time, if it comes up, it probably won't be as strong and you'll be able to even let it go even more quickly and more readily, or it just might not even come up at all. And eventually that's what you'll get to if you cut them off enough like that, that eventually it won't come up at all. And this is where the mind's liberated. You can just be patient and peaceful or however you're gonna deal with it. There's multiple ways of dealing with that kind of situation, but you won't allow the frustration or agitation to arise. So instead of reacting, you can respond. And whether you respond 
respond by just ignoring it and not worrying about it or whether you need to say something or what have you. Either way, you'll do it in a wise way when your mind is calm. When your mind has got agitation and frustration in it, whatever you say or do, it's going to come from that agitation and frustration. So it's going to produce unwholesome results or unwholesome gamma. But when you can maintain your calmness and composure, this equanimity, this mindfulness, this concentration that the Buddha is talking about here, then you can actually function with wisdom. This is how you ultimately get to wisdom. By remaining calm, you then have awareness of mind, which is mindfulness. Then you have concentration, and then you can access your wisdom. Whereas if your mind's uncalm, you're not going to have awareness of mind, you're not going to have concentration, and then you're not going to be able to access your wisdom and you're most likely going to make an unwise decision that leads to unwholesome results. So in the past, that's what we would have done when we were reacting in the situation. But now you're training your mind to respond with this equanimity, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Yeah, the funny thing that I was able to sit right in front of the person for an hour without feeling anything. I just felt calm and peaceful. I I guess I I, I did that part uh, correctly. The second question I asked is about the jhana. Uh, I used to know that, you know, from other uh, learnings that we want to aspire to attain certain level of jhanas and all that. So the mind is always expecting, expecting, expecting to reach. So am I in jhana one, two or three? So is there something that is not supposed to be practiced or just let it come naturally? I don't even know what is the jhana all about in the first place. Yeah, the best thing to do is just let it come naturally because you can actually develop a craving for the jhanas or even a craving for any of the stages of enlightenment. As long as you're craving it, the mind's not going to be able to experience it where the mind's longing and yearning. What I encourage students to do is not worry about which individual jhana you're in. Just focus on the Eightfold Path. And that's going to include your meditation practice, which is what this book is talking about. But there's all those other factors in there too. You can't just meditate your way to the jhanas. In the qualities of the jhanas, they're being experienced all throughout your day. A lot of times people think that they're only being experienced during meditation, but you're actually experiencing these qualities of mind all throughout your day. But that can occur if you're not focused on developing your Eightfold Path. So you would like to develop the Eightfold Path. And as your mind starts experiencing these qualities and you're starting to notice this type of qualities, this can help you to just kind of look and be like, oh yeah, the Buddha is speaking the truth for sure because I experience all these different things. And that's when you'll know that you're in the jhanas. But in terms of craving it and trying to track which jhana you're in at any given time, that's going to actually hinder your progress because now there's central desire arising, there's conceit arising, and you're not interested in that occurring because by the time you get to the jhanas, it's kind of like the light bulb is starting to flicker. If you went into a room and you turn on a a switch, it might be flicker, 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 boom, and now the light's on. It's the same thing as you're going to get these flickers where your mind can be peaceful and joyful for like a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, a couple of days, but then you're going to experience some discontentedness because the mind's not yet enlightened. That's what the jhanas are. You're experiencing these improved qualities of mind and this flickering of the peace and the joy. When that's starting to occur, you would then like to start focusing on the 10 fetters so that you can get into the first stage of enlightenment and beyond. Because while the mind is in these jhanas, the mind can actually regress backwards if your practice becomes complacent. But once you get into that first stage of enlightenment, your mind won't regress backwards from there. So if you get bogged down in these jhanas trying to track which one they are 
or worse yet, you're craving the jhanas and not even getting to the jhanas because you crave them so much, your mind's getting bogged down in, into the weeds. So it's interesting to read about them. It's interesting to be aware of the qualities of mind. So when you start experiencing, you'll know it. But stay focused on developing your Eightfold Path really closely. That's what's going to ultimately lead to the jhanas. And then from there, you focus on the ten fetters. And remember that the Eightfold Path has a lot of connected teachings into it, like the five precepts, the five factors of well-spoken speech, and things like this that you can be more fully developing. And that's what's going to ultimately lead to the jhanas. Learning the jhanas themselves isn't going to actually lead to the jhanas. The learning of the jhanas is just to make you aware of what's going to happen as your mind's progressing because this is an indication for you that you're headed in the right direction, that you've put together the Eightfold Path to a certain degree, and now you should start really focusing on the 10 fetters and eliminating those. Okay, I understand. Thank you so much, teacher David. Yes, you're welcome, sir. Okay, not seeing any questions anywhere else. So let's move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 14. Here, this is titled, the enlightenment factor is accompanied by breathing mindfulness meditation. This is where the Buddha is going to help you to see that breathing mindfulness meditation is leading to the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors of enlightenment are tools that the Buddha shares with you in order to train the mind more fully, which I'll explain to you here in a moment. So these are qualities of mind that you need to practice. They're not actually to determine if you've attained enlightenment or not. But here he's going to explain to you how breathing mindfulness meditation leads to the development of these seven factors of enlightenment. Monks, mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit. And how, monks, is mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and benefit? Here, monks, a monk develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of investigation, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of energy, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of joy, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of tranquility, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of concentration, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. He develops the enlightenment factor of equanimity, accompanied by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing and release. It is in this way, monks, that mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and benefit. 
So these seven factors of enlightenment are shared here in the book. They're shared in volume one. They're also shared throughout the other volumes as well when the Buddha is invoking and talking about the seven factors. Mindfulness is something that's practiced all the time. It's from the Eightfold Path, where generally you think about it as awareness of mind, but more specifically, it's awareness of the four foundations of mindfulness, which are bodily sensations, the feelings, condition of the mind, and mental objects. This is something I'm going to be teaching tomorrow in the group learning program. Then there's the enlightenment factor of investigation, energy, and joy. These are practiced when the mind's complacent or dull or lethargic, because usually the last thing the mind's interested in when there's complacency is to investigate the teachings and examine them. But as you do, that starts to spring up this energy, this effort, determination, ambition, initiative, and motivation, this willingness to do something in the mind. Then that leads to the joy. So it brings the mind out of that dull, lethargic, complacent state into the middle. But then you're going to notice other times your mind is kind of excited or elated. And you're going to need this tranquility to relax the mind and bring it to steadiness. You're going to need this concentration or this mental alertness or attentiveness. And then you're going to need this equanimity, this mental calmness and composure to bring the mind to the middle out of that excited state. Because if you leave the mind in that excited, elated state or down in this complacency, the mind's not in the middle and you're trying to bring it to the middle so that more and more it gets used to being in this middle. I describe it like a piece of steel. If you have a steel rod and a piece of wood and you grind it back and forth and back and forth, as you first start grinding, it's going to pop out of that area very easily because there's no groove yet. But the more you grind back and forth and back and forth, eventually you have this nice groove in the wood and it will be very hard for it to pop out. And if it does pop out, you'll notice it right away and be able to easily bring it back to the groove. So your mind is the same way that if it's in this complacency or in this excited state, it's not in the middle and you would like to bring it to the middle and keep it there for longer and longer periods of time. The meditation is helping you to do that, but also in daily life, that's what these are here. These seven factors of enlightenment are tools to fine tune the mind. If you take a piece of wood, like a big log, and you were going to make a sculpture of a human being out of this big piece of wood, when you first get started, you'd probably use a hatchet or an axe to chop off some big chunks of wood. That's what the Eightfold Path is doing. You're chucking off wrong view, wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong concentration. You're chucking off these big chunks of wood trying to get down to this beautiful piece of sculpture. But then as you get going with the sculpture, you're going to ultimately get to the point where you need to put the eyelashes in and the wrinkles and the face. You're going to need some really sharp instrument, some fine tuning tool. And that's what the seven factors of enlightenment are, is that initially you start with the Eightfold Path and you build that up. But there's going to be certain times where you notice this complacency or this excited state. And now you can fine tune the mind and bring it to the middle with these factors of enlightenment. Mindfulness is practiced all the time. That's what you're doing all day long, having awareness of the mind. That's your guard. You're guarding the doorways. You're guarding the mind. But then you use investigation, energy, and joy to lift it out of the complacency. And you're using the 
tranquility, concentration, equanimity to bring it out of the excited state. And now it can stay in the middle more and more readily. And it's breathing mindfulness meditation that is going to help you to be able to develop and cultivate and then practice these seven factors of enlightenment. And that's what the Buddha is describing here is that breathing mindfulness meditation leads to the development of these seven factors of enlightenment. What questions do you guys have on this chapter? Looks like Bruce has a question here on YouTube. Can you please elaborate on what the Buddha means by based upon seclusion in this teaching? Thank you, teacher, David. So Bruce, what the Buddha is teaching here and he taught throughout his life is that in order to get to enlightenment, you're gonna need to have some amount of seclusion, that you're not gonna be able to just always be around people. You're going to need to train your mind to be comfortable and content being alone. Maybe you've already done that. Certain people are completely content going to the movies by themselves, going out to dinner by themselves, going to the mall by themselves, going to a park by themselves. If you're not content and peaceful and joyful doing those things, you're going to need to train your mind to do those things. Sometimes we always want to be with somebody else, but you're going to need to learn to be alone because as your mind becomes more and more enlightened, your pollution is going down and down and down, which means you're gonna need less and less sleep, and you're gonna have more and more time that you're awake, and you're gonna be doing less and less of chasing your central desires and chasing your cravings. So you're gonna not only have less sleep, which means you have more time, and your mind's gonna be well rested, but also you're gonna have more time also because you're not chasing your central desires anymore. So you're gonna end up having a good amount of time for yourself. This is where you're liberated, you're free, right? The mind is free. So you'll need to learn how to train to be alone and enjoy that, but also be with other people and enjoy that too. So that's what he's describing here is that in order to cultivate these mental qualities, you're gonna to need to have a certain amount of alone time because if you're always with other people, you're bombarded with thoughts and conversation and thing that's going on. You can't sort out what's going on in your mind and observe your mind, what is wholesome and what is unwholesome so that you can support and encourage the wholesome and eliminate the unwholesome. Excellent question there, Bruce. Let's see, I'm not seeing any other questions anywhere. So it looks like we can move on here to the next chapter, which is chapter 15. Here, this one's titled, Great Fruit and Benefit of Breathing Mindfulness Meditation in Apasanati, Another Discourse. So here, this first part opens up with the Buddha describing that breathing mindfulness meditation is of great fruit and benefit. Then here he's describing one of two fruits to be predicted, okay? This one we actually read last class. For those of you guys that were there, he talks about either final knowledge or this state of non-returner. What final knowledge is, is this is the stage of enlightenment as an arahant, where the mind is actually enlightened. By the time you get to enlightenment, you have now attained final knowledge. You fully understand the path to enlightenment. You have fully cultivated wisdom. So this is called final knowledge. And if someone has final knowledge, they've eradicated all ignorance in the mind. There's no more unknowing of true reality. Their mind is now not experiencing any discontentedness for one year, two years, three years. They figured out how to overcome the discontentedness by eliminating pollution of mind. 
if there's even a little bit of ickiness in the mind, even a slight bad mood, there's still ignorance in the mind. It hasn't figured out how to eradicate this yet. So by the time someone gets the final knowledge or wisdom, the mind is completely enlightened, no longer experiencing any discontentedness. But if there's still a residue of clinging, then this is the third stage of enlightenment, and this is called a non-returner. So the Buddha is saying that as part of breathing mindfulness meditation, you will either experience enlightenment or this third stage of enlightenment. So then we go on to this next part where he says, breathing mindfulness meditation, uh, when developed and cultivated, it leads to great good. Okay, so he's once again explaining how important breathing mindfulness meditation is. Then he says, leading to great security from bondage. Same exact discourse, everything else, but he's explaining that it leads to this great security from bondage. What bondage is, is when the mind is unenlightened, your mind is bound up, it's fettered, it's got these pollutions, it's like a prisoner trapped in this unenlightened state and you keep experiencing discontentedness. The mind's going up and down and up and down at different times of your day or your week and it's bound up. It's also stuck in this continuous cycle of rebirth because it hasn't cultivated the wisdom that it needs to transcend this discontentedness and get out of this whole continuous cycle of rebirth. So by the time you get to enlightenment, you now have this great security from bondage and it's breathing mindfulness meditation that's helping you to accomplish that. Then this next one is leading to a great sense of motivation. Again, all the same stuff that he's described in other places. But now, if you understand getting rid of the pollution of mind helps you to get rid of the dullness, the lethargic condition, the complacency, that breathing mindfulness meditation is leading to the elimination of pollution of mind. That's what the Buddha described in chapter 11, that breathing mindfulness meditation eliminates the taints or the fetters. And as you're eliminating those pollutions, you'll notice more and more motivation, enthusiasm, encouragement, initiative coming up in the mind. And that's what he's describing here in this particular discourse. Then he's talking about residing in great comfort. Again, all the exact same teaching, but now he's just giving you another benefit that you're experiencing as a result of breathing mindfulness meditation. Because breathing mindfulness meditation is eliminating the pollutions. And when you eliminate the pollutions, yes, the mind is gonna be in great comfort. And when the mind is in great comfort, the body is going to be in great comfort. So if the mind is tranquil, the body is tranquil. You're not going to experience the pain in your neck and your shoulders from stress and anxiety. You're not going to feel the tightening of your chest or your throat when you're in an uncomfortable situation. There's all these different things that are being experienced in your daily life that are indications to you that you still have craving, desire, attachment in the mind. There's still pollution there. And those things are uncomfortable to experience. Experience. But by the time you get rid of the pollutions using breathing mindfulness meditation and all the other teachings on the path to enlightenment, then you'll reside in this great comfort, both mind and body. And then here he goes into the same thing we just read, which is the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay, any questions on this one? Oh, here's this one thing too. He's talking about how the seven factors of enlightenment slant slope and incline towards enlightenment because that's bringing the mind to the middle. By the time you're starting to fine tune the mind that way with the seven factors of enlightenment, you're close to enlightenment. All right, so let me see if you guys have any questions on chapter 15, which is titled Great Fruit and Benefit of Breathing Mindfulness Meditation. 
not seeing any questions anywhere. So let's go ahead and move into our next chapter, which is chapter 16. Chapter 16 is a very short chapter. It's titled, A Monk Who Is Not Lacking of Jhana. Monks, if for just the time of a finger snap, a monk develops mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, he is called a monk who is not lacking of jhana, who acts upon the teachings of the teacher, who responds to his advice, and who does not eat the country's alms food, having produced no results or benefit. How much more than those who cultivate it? So here, the Buddha is explaining that those jhanas, those preliminary phases that the mind goes through before it gets to the first stage of enlightenment, where you're experiencing these improved qualities of mind, he's saying if you meditate with breathing mindfulness meditation for just the snap of a finger, that you would not lack in these qualities that are experienced in the jhanas. But he says for somebody who actually cultivates breathing mindfulness meditation and trains in it regularly, for sure, you're going to be experiencing the jhanas. And of course, it's more than just meditation by itself. You need the Eightfold Path to be able to get to those jhanas. This is oftentimes a misunderstanding that people have is that they just think they can meditate their way to the jhanas or just meditate their way to enlightenment. You need all those various factors. If somebody went off into a cave for 10 years and were meditating for all those 10 years, when they come out of the cave, they're not going to be enlightened. They still haven't learned how to practice things like right speech, right action, right livelihood. They haven't been practicing generosity with other people. They haven't been practicing loving kindness and compassion or sympathetic joy with other beings. They've just been isolated to themselves. So while we talk about the Buddha going to the forest for six years, he still interacted with people. He had to come out of the forest to get food, right? So he interacted with people who were providing him donations and food and things like this. So he wasn't like isolated for six years. He actually ended up spending time around different people at different times. So here you can see the Buddha is describing that breathing mindfulness meditation leads to the jhanas. Also, when somebody's sharing teachings as a teacher or an ordained practitioner, they are living based on the donations of their students and the people around them. And because those people are offering donations and support, that teacher, that ordained practitioner can get deeper and deeper into their practice and then have teachings to be able to share back with their students. So the Buddha made sure that when he taught that he ensured that those people who are living in that way aren't just wasting the donations, that you're doing something with it, right? You're really cultivating your mind and you're developing your mind as a teacher or an ordained practitioner. And then you have something to give back to the people around you who are supporting you, which is the wisdom of these teachings. So the Buddha is saying, you know, here essentially that if you're developing breathing mindfulness meditation and you're getting closer and closer to the jhanas and thus enlightenment, then you're not wasting this alms food or these donations that are being made that you're actually producing results and benefit within your own mind, which means then you'll be able to produce benefits by sharing teachings with other people. Any questions on this teaching? Okay, Becky, I see your, your comment here. She's saying that uh, I find your analogies very helpful. Thank you, David. You're welcome, Becky. Pleased to help you. All right. I don't see any other questions. So we're going to move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 17. Here, this one is titled, Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, An Excellent and Peaceful Dwelling. Here, it just sets up the environment and then you'll see what the Buddha teaches. 
Here, the Buddha commented on the incidences of monks dying through suicide by themselves or by encouraging and assisting others to do so. On this occasion, the perfectly enlightened one had given them the discourses of anapasanati or breathing mindfulness meditation. So essentially, it comes to the Buddha's attention that people are committing suicide and encouraging and assisting other people to kill themselves. And now the Buddha gives this discourse, this teaching, in order to help them eliminate these suicidal thoughts and these actions that are occurring due to their interest to die. The Buddha says this to the monks. Monks, this concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, is peaceful and superb, an excellent and peaceful dwelling, and it dissolves and extinguishes right on the spot evil unwholesome states whenever they arise just as monks in the last month of the hot season when a mass of dust and dirt has swirled up a great rain cloud out of season disperses it and extinguishes it on the spot so too concentration by mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation when developed and cultivated is peaceful and superb, an excellent and peaceful dwelling, and it dissolves and extinguishes on the spot evil, unwholesome states whenever they arise. And how is this so? Here, monks, a monk having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down. Okay, so here's where the Buddha is going to explain all the stuff of where he's teaching breathing mindfulness meditation, and then ultimately he gets to explaining how it extinguishes and dissolves evil unwholesome states as they arise. So this is what I was referencing earlier for Francis. So what you can gather from this is that when you're experiencing, not just if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or anything like that, but any unwholesome aspect of the mind, you can use breathing mindfulness meditation to cut that off and eliminate it from the mind. So if you're in a relationship and you're having a craving to have sex with somebody else, uh, you can cut that off and let it go because you know that's going to harm the person you're with in your relationship, in your life. So if you're going to move on, just move on. Don't go outside the relationship. Or if you're noticing that the mind's longing, yearning, and wanting more wealth, chasing more wealth, you can cut that off. Or if you're noticing that there's any kind of unwholesome thought that's coming to your mind, maybe you want to steal something or lie about something or gamble or you want to go bash somebody's face in, right? Try to sit down and meditate because if you've been meditating regularly and you've developed your breathing mindfulness meditation practice, you'll get enough benefits that you've accumulated that you'll be able to cut off and let go of any evil unwholesome thoughts that arise. If you've just started with meditation, like in the last couple of days or the last week or so, this isn't necessarily going to work for you right away. It's not instantaneous. It's not like a magic button. But as you meditate more and more frequently and accumulate the benefits over a longer period of time, you can do like what Francis experienced, that he was waiting in line, somebody butted in front, he noticed an unwholesome quality coming to mind, he just closed his eyes, focused on his breath, and he was able to cut that off and let it go. You can do the same thing if you're like getting cut off in traffic and you get stopped at a red light, instead of allowing your mind to rage and continue to experience that anger, you can do a little bit of focusing on the breath. Of course, this isn't one of your dedicated, active, purposeful training sessions that are two or three times a day, 
but you can do little spot treatments like this because the longer you allow the mind to sit there and fire like this and be wired for anger and hatred and ill will, the mind's going to keep firing that way. What you're trying to do is you're trying to break that. You're trying to break that cycle and now get the mind over here rewired for loving kindness and compassion. So where you see the mind having this hostility or aggression or bitterness or any kind of unwholesome mental state, you can break that with the breathing mindfulness meditation. And if you're doing that two or three times a day, building up your practice, then you can do these little spot treatments like we were talking about with Francis. And this is what the Buddha is explaining to you is that it extinguishes and dissolves evil unwholesome states on the spot whenever they arise and you would ultimately get to a point where they no longer arise if you're doing these kinds of things where you're not allowing the mind to fire on that anger and you're rewiring it you're breaking it away and now you're rewiring it to be wholesome and have loving kindness and compassion eventually you get to the point where no anger even arises anymore because you've cleared out more and more of the pollution and now you're functioning more and more through the enlightened mind what questions do you guys have on this chapter? Okay, I'm not seeing any questions. Oh, there we go. Francis, go ahead. Just remember to unmute yourself. Okay, I just want to share something that what you just mentioned just now uh, uh, about you know cutting off sitting on the spot thing like that. I guess I relate to what you uh, in your earlier teachings that you share is all about our expectation we have for another person. Uh, so like today's example that I was expecting the person to have courtesy, you know, uh, to be in line, but it didn't happen. So uh, I don't, didn't want to have to expect anything, just let it go. And I just uh, follow what you mentioned that, okay, I have loving kindness, this person understand, maybe it's not, uh, maybe it's not all in the same league as what we are, we are going through an enlightenment thing and that, it's an enlightened mind, just let it be, that just so be with it and all that, and just, yeah, just let it go. So I did what I did actually. Yeah, that's perfect. That's what you'd like to do is cut off and let go of that unwholesome quality that's arising because you know craving and anger, all that's just unwholesome. You cut that off through applying right effort and you are practicing right mindfulness, which is awareness of mind to be aware when it arises. And then when you notice that it arised, you cut it off. And then you arise just the opposite, the wholesome quality, which is the loving kindness and compassion. So that's that rewiring of the mind. You're dismantling the discontentedness. And now you're bringing in these wholesome qualities of loving kindness and compassion. And more and more, your mind will be wired that way. But it's going to take time to transform the mind to be able to no longer experience any anger whatsoever. So this is like a mind that's transitioning. And then each one of these experiences, the mind will just get better and better at doing that. And eventually there won't be any anger or even the slightest irritation arise. I appreciate your teaching. Thank you so much. That's all. Yes, you're welcome. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the next chapter which is chapter 18. This one is titled Cultivating Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, A Monk Flattens Evil Unwholesome States, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness. So here the Buddha is leading into this discourse in the same way that he has done all the others, explaining all those various aspects of meditation. 
And then he's going to break it down and show you how each part of his guidance is helping you to cultivate one of the four foundations of mindfulness. And I'm going to be teaching you guys this tomorrow in the group learning program. So you're welcome to tune into that either at 9 a.m. Thai time or 9 p.m. Thai time. I'm going to be teaching now in the mornings and the evenings. I'm going to be live streaming from the temple in the morning. And then in the evenings, I'm going to be teaching at home like this. So you guys will have two options for all the various classes, Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And for some of you guys, it might be Saturday night. It might be Tuesday night and Friday night that you now have classes available to you in addition to Sunday morning, Wednesday morning, and Saturday morning. So here, the Buddha is explaining this bodily sensation, that this is the part of his guidance that's helping you to be able to cultivate the awareness of the bodily sensations. And then his next part is helping you to build awareness of the feelings. And then there's this next part that helps you develop the condition of the mind, awareness of the condition of the mind. He's just breaking down that guidance. And now the fourth one is the mental objects. So I'll just give you guys a little bit of a preview for tomorrow, what we're going to be teaching, is that there's these four foundations of mindfulness that you need to be aware of in order to really transform the mind and eliminate discontentedness. That prior to the mind getting a feeling like anger or frustration, prior to that feeling coming into the mind, there's bodily sensations that are occurring. You may or may not be aware of those right now, but through breathing mindfulness meditation, you can become aware of those bodily sensations and you can actually elongate them because that's like your early warning system. That's like the light flashing on your dashboard telling you something's wrong. And you can cut off and let go of any arising anger, frustration, or any other discontent feeling. Even the pleasant feelings, painful or neither painful nor pleasant, all these conditioned feelings have certain bodily sensations. So the bodily sensations are the early warning system that's going to help you to get control of your mind. Because if you can cut off a conditioned feeling as a bodily sensation, that's that rewiring of the mind. You're not allowing the mind to experience that unwholesome quality. You're not allowing the mind to experience that feeling of conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neither painful nor pleasant. You've just saved yourself a whole lot of trouble. Because if you don't cut it off as a bodily sensation, it's going to become a feeling. And now you've got anger in the mind or frustration in the mind. You've got to really deal with it. This is like if you're taking a boat from the USA to the UK, you're out in the middle of the ocean. If you allow the water to come in to the boat, you've got a real problem to deal with. So you need to prevent this water from ever coming into the boat so you don't sink. So that's what your bodily sensations are there for, is to be able to cut off and let go of any conditioned feelings prior to them actually becoming a feeling. So this isn't suppressing the feelings because it hasn't even become a feeling yet. You're not pushing it down. You're avoiding the mind from even ever having to experience that feeling. And then the more that you do that, you restrain the mind, you get control and discipline of the mind. Eventually, there won't be any arising of any feelings whatsoever, not even the bodily sensations associated with the feelings, because what's producing all of that is the craving, desire, attachment in the mind. When there's craving in the mind, when you get contact through your six sense bases, 
then there's going to be some bodily sensation associated with discontentedness arising. But if you can restrain the mind and cut that off as a bodily sensation, that's the same as eliminating the craving from the mind. And you're going to have to cut this back and cut it back and cut it back. It's kind of like a a wild weed that's growing and you got to cut it back and cut it back and cut it back and cut it back and cut it back. And eventually you uproot it out of the mind. You got rid of that craving. And now no matter what you experience, if somebody's cutting in line in front of you, you've uprooted that craving out of the mind. You've cut it back so many times you've uprooted it. And now when somebody cuts in line, you're not going to get angry or frustrated or irritated or annoyed by it. You won't even experience any bodily sensations arising where now if there's craving in the mind, there's going to be some bodily sensations that you might be missing. So the breathing mindfulness meditation is going to help you to develop all four foundations of mindfulness, which you need to be able to do in order to get to enlightenment. The Buddha describes, and I would agree that by the time you're aware of the bodily sensations, not only are you aware of them with mindfulness, but you're able to easily cut them off and let them go as a bodily sensation, you're very close to enlightenment at that point. It's not going to be a week or a month from now, but within a year, two years, three years, you're going to be experiencing enlightenment. If you can get to the point where through breathing mindfulness meditation, you've developed your mindfulness and concentration so well, and you've been able to cut off and let go to bring the mind back to the breath. If now in daily life, you're aware of the bodily sensations like the tightening of the chest, the tingling in the body, the heat in the face or the pressure in the skull. If you're aware of these kinds of things and each individual feeling is going to have different bodily sensations, if you're aware of those with mindfulness and can easily cut it off and let it go, you're really close to enlightenment. Within a, a year, two years, three years, you'll be experiencing enlightenment because you're really starting to tune in, restrain the mind and cut off and let go at that point. Let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So we'll go ahead to the next chapter. Again, there's that content for me that's going to help you to understand and further explore what the Buddha's teaching. This is chapter 19. It's titled, Protecting One's Own Mind, You Protect Others. This is an interesting story, so I'll read this whole thing to you. Monks. Once in the past, an acrobat set up his bamboo pole and addressed his apprentice, this student. I can't pronounce that name. Thus, come, dear student, climb the bamboo pole and stand on my shoulders. Having replied, yes, teacher, the apprentice climbed up the bamboo pole and stood on the teacher's shoulder. The acrobat then said to the apprentice, you protect me, dear student and I'll protect you. Thus guarded by one another, protected by one another, we'll display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. When this was said, the apprentice replied, that's not the way to do it, teacher. You protect yourself, teacher, and I'll protect myself. Thus each self-guarded and self-protected We'll display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. That's the method there, the perfectly enlightened one said. It's just as the apprentice said to the teacher, I'll protect myself, monks. Thus, should the four foundations of mindfulness be practiced, I will protect others. Monks, thus, should the four foundations of mindfulness be practiced, protecting one's own mind, monks, 
one protects others. Protecting others, one protects one's own mind. And how is it, monks, that one protects one's own mind? One protects others. By the pursuit, development, and cultivation of the four foundations of mindfulness, it is in such a way that by protecting one's own mind, one protects others. And how is it, monks, that by protecting others, one protects one's own mind? By patience, harmlessness, loving kindness, and compassion, it is in such a way that by protecting others, one protects one's own mind. I will protect my own mind, monks. Thus should the four foundations of mindfulness be practiced. I will protect others, monks. Thus should the four foundations of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting one's own mind, monks, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects one's own mind. So let me share a few things here and then we'll go through this story. The path to enlightenment is all about your own independent journey. You need to do this inner work to heal from what hurts you so that you never need to hurt ever again. And the Buddha is providing you these various tools. He doesn't provide you rules or commandments or he doesn't try to guilt or shame or fear you into anything at all. He's already experienced this peaceful and joyful mental state. And now for 45 years after he attained that mental state, he's dedicating his life and his time, effort, energy, and resources to helping others who have a sincere interest in learning and practicing to be able to experience that same mental state. And each individual person has to do that work. Nobody can do that work for you. So here the Buddha is giving an analogy that you've got to protect your own mind. You can't expect that other people are going to protect you and protect your mind. So you need to train your mind so that you can control your mind. You can't control what other people do, but you can control your own mind. You're on this own independent journey doing this inner work. Here, this story, the teacher was trying to say to the student, hey, you know, I'll protect you and you protect me. But no, that doesn't work. You know, you've got to protect your own mind is what the Buddha is essentially saying. And then he says the way that you protect your own mind is with the four foundations of mindfulness. That when you observe those bodily sensations coming, you observe that. Nobody else is going to observe that. You're going to observe those bodily sensations coming and you've got to take action to cut that off and let it go. So by you protecting your own mind, you're protecting others. Because if you save your mind from being angry and frustrated and irritated, then you won't become bitter and harsh towards others because other people aren't causing your discontentedness. Your mind's causing it itself. So by you practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, you're protecting your own mind and then you're protecting others from any bitterness or hostility or other intention, speech, and actions related to your discontentedness. Then the Buddha says, by protecting others, one protects one's own mind. The way you protect others is by you practicing patience, by you practicing harmlessness where you're not interested in harming others, by you practicing loving kindness and compassion, by you practicing those qualities of mind, you're protecting others from your hostility, your aggression, because you're being patient, you're practicing harmlessness, loving kindness and compassion. These are part of the Eightfold Path as well, pretty much, but these are all teachings that you need in order to understand how to practice on a daily basis. Don't look at it as you expect other people to do something specific to protect your mind. You've got to protect your mind 
and you can't control what you see on Facebook necessarily. Like people can post any old thing, any old picture. Uh, when you're at work or you're on public transportation or you're in a public space, you can't control what other people do. You can't control what they say, what they do, the things and ways that they interact. All you can do is protect your own mind. And by protecting your own mind, you're protecting others. So the Buddha is giving you tools here of how to accomplish that. Let me see what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So let's go to our last chapter for today, which is chapter 20. It's titled Breathing Mindfulness Meditation for Abandoning Mental Distraction. Monks, there are these three things. What three? Being difficult to correct, unwholesome friendship, and mental distraction. These are three things. Three other things are to be developed for abandoning these three things. So first, let me share this, is that these are three things that will be detrimental to your practice and being able to get to enlightenment. What difficult to correct means is that if you're doing unwholesome things like unwholesome moral conduct and things like this, the Buddha teaches that a teacher should point that out to their students, that if a student is choosing to learn with a teacher, they should have trust. They should have confidence in their teacher and they should be looking to their teacher to do what the Buddha calls pointing out treasure. A teacher doesn't want anything from their students. If a teacher is teaching in the way that the Buddha taught, they don't want anything or expect anything from their students. We're just sharing out of generosity, loving kindness and compassion, our time, effort, energy, and resources to help others to be able to get to enlightenment. So we don't have any goal other than to help people to get to enlightenment as they choose to express interest and have a sincere interest in learning and practicing to get to enlightenment. So if you're with a teacher that's willing to take their time, effort, energy, and resources to point out treasure or to point out areas to improve, if you were difficult to take that advice and heave that advice, it would hinder you from being able to get to enlightenment. Same thing with unwholesome friends. If you had unwholesome friends, these would be unwholesome influences in your life that your mind would tend to do those things. So the Buddha teaches to cultivate wholesome friendships. And the more wisdom you have about this path to enlightenment, you'll know how to accomplish that. And he provides you guidance on how to do that in various chapters. And then mental distraction. This is like if you're in a conversation or you're in a meeting or something and your mind wanders to the past or it wanders to the future. This is mental distraction. You can't stay focused and clear and concentrated. This is going to hinder your ability to get to enlightenment. Even being in this class and listening to me, your mind is having to cultivate a certain amount of concentration and focus to be able to listen and learn these teachings. So you're actually practicing the teachings and training the mind to not have mental distraction. And while you're learning, if you notice that your mind is mentally distracted or you're off doing other things while you're also trying to learn, it's best if you can try to cut that off and let it go as best of your ability and stay focused on the actual class if you have that ability. There's some people who learn with me that are like single moms, single dads, or they're working a lot. And the only thing that they can do is maybe ride in the car and listen to a podcast. That's what they're able to do at this point. Okay, so you do that and that's what you need to do. Or maybe you need to work and listen at the same time. Okay, that's where you're at right now in your practice. But as you start cleaning things up, you can get to a point where you're just focused 
on learning. And this would be to eliminate mental distraction. So the Buddha is going to give you here now these three ways to solve these three problems. He says, what three? What is it that you do in order to develop and abandon these three unwholesome qualities of mind? So one, being easy to correct is to be developed for abandoning being difficult to correct. Two, wholesome friendship is to be developed for abandoning unwholesome friendship. Three, mindfulness of breathing. Breathing mindfulness meditation is to be developed for abandoning mental distraction. These three things are to be developed for abandoning the former three things. So this is the whole reason why this is in this book is that if you're looking to get to concentration and clarity of mind, if you're noticing that your mind is wandering in daydreams or while you're driving, your mind is focused on a lot of other different things or while you're in a business meeting, your mind's focused on a lot of different things or you're in a conversation on the phone and your mind's wandering and distracted, it's breathing mindfulness meditation that's going to improve your concentration and clarity of mind. And you're going to need that as part of your practice because an enlightened being is going to have concentration and focus. Their mind's not going to be wandering and roaming all over the place. It's going to stay right here in the present moment and be able to address whatever is needing to be addressed in the present moment. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, it looks like Bruce has a question here. When it comes to unwholesome friends, is it okay to no longer associate with people whom are consumed with unwholesome actions like excessive use of intoxicants and gossiping and using harsh speech? Or would that be an example of aversion? Okay, this is a question that usually comes up, so let me help you with this. So there's choosing to move on from a relationship, right? Like that can be done at any time that anybody chooses. You can choose to move on from a relationship. If you have aversion, then that means what's occurred is that there's something that occurred in this relationship and you're now experiencing painful feelings like anger, frustration, irritation, and annoyance or whatever. And now the mind has wrong view. And the mind thinks that this person is what's caused my painful feelings. And the way to solve that is to push this person out of the way and now I'm going to go forward and move on with my life. This is aversion. This is not understanding the real problem. This is with wrong view. So aversion is pushing someone away, thinking that they're causing you to experience painful feelings. And the mind falsely believes that the way to solve that is to push this person or push this situation out of the way. And that doesn't actually solve the problem. That's aversion because those painful feelings weren't caused by the person or the situation. And you're not interested in having aversion. But there's also choosing to move on in a relationship and doing that as a wise choice. And the examples that you're providing are wise choices. If somebody is into intoxicants or gossiping or using harsh speech, you can move on from that relationship and you can choose to just move on. But if you're experiencing any painful feelings as a result of this, this is your painful feelings. Be sure that you understand moving on in the relationship could be a wise choice but any kind of discontentedness that you're experiencing because of craving, desire, attachment, moving on from the relationship isn't going to solve that. You still need to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment that's causing it. So aversion is pushing away, thinking that that's going to solve the problem when you're experiencing painful feelings. That's coming from wrong view. 
you're pushing the situation or the relationship. Choosing to move on can just be a wise decision, but just be sure if you have any painful feelings as a result of anything that you address that through eliminating your cravings. You're welcome, Bruce. All right, so I don't see any questions in Facebook or Zoom, and we don't have any more in YouTube either. So what I'll do then is I will just thank all of you guys for joining for today's class and at the same time invite you to our future classes because this same Polycanon in English study group we do every Saturday where students are reading either before or after class because there you can glean a lot of insight from the words of the Buddha. You've got the reference back to the original source and you've got the words of guidance that I'm sharing with you as reflections. So if you're reading before and or after class, you're going to get a lot more out of the class. But of course, if you didn't have time to read for any reason, you're always welcome to come to class because you see that we study in class. That's better than nothing at all. And for some people, that might be what they're able to manage right now based on their schedule and where they're at with their priorities. So if you just need to come to class and just come to class and we'll study here. But the more you can kind of filter in some of these chapters, maybe just 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, you can just read one or two of the chapters in the book. This will really help you to progress in this Polycanon and English study group, and then we can come together and study. Tomorrow in the group learning program, we're going to be in the third part of a three-part series where I'm going to be teaching the mental discipline section of the Eightfold Path. This is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So you guys are welcome to study in that class where I'm going to be teaching. It's not a study group like this. It's me teaching for 20, 30 minutes and then opening up to any questions. Next Saturday, we're going to be in the next 10 chapters, which is chapters 21 through 30 in the group learning program, which is a really nice foundational program that meets on Sunday and Wednesdays. That one, we're just starting off that program and really starting to get moving with that going forward. So you guys are always welcome to join that program. And if you can't make the live classes either at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Thai time, you can always listen to the recording either in Facebook, YouTube, or in our podcast. And on Wednesday, we're going to be in our four-part series. We're finishing up the fourth part where we're doing breathing mindfulness meditation. And then we're going to end up starting a four-part series on loving-kindness meditation. So thank you all for joining. I appreciate all your questions and your dedication and diligence to learning and practicing. Perhaps I'll see you in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.